I am Chris Ebinger, and welcome to Nightfall Audiobooks. Today we are reading R.L. Stein's 99 Fear Street, The House of Evil, number 2, The Second Horror. Prologue The ghost of Callie Fraser peered out of an attic window, a shadow floating in shadows. She stared down at the front yard and watched as a new family started to move into the house. My house, Callie thought. 99 Fear Street, the house where I lived and where I died. You will be sorry, Callie's ghost murmured bitterly. I promise you will be sorry. No one heard Callie's bitter promise. That didn't matter. She would make it come true. Watching a new family, a teenage boy and his parents, Callie thought of her own family. Gone. Vanished. They abandoned me here, Callie thought without sadness. Her anger didn't allow for sadness. The evil drove them away. As she had every day since they left, Callie thought about the house, the house that had become her tomb. The house was built over thirty years ago, she knew, built on cursed land. The first owners never moved in. The man who built the house brought his family to see it and left them alone for five minutes. Five minutes. When he returned, his wife and children were dead, their heads ripped from their bodies. He hanged himself one month later, here, in this house. For thirty years, no one would live here. Then my family moved in and became victims of the evil. My little brother James and his puppy lost forever, lost somewhere in the walls of this house. My father, blinded by a thick cloud of evil. My mother and Cody, Cody my twin sister, all driven away by the evil. But I'm still here, the ghost of Kelly thought. The evil would not let me go. The evil is inside me. I feel it running through me night and day. Callie tossed back her head and let out an angry wail of frustration. Then she returned to the window. The strangers were invading. A big van was parked in the driveway. Movers carried carton after carton into the empty house. The husband and wife stood watching with their arms around each other. Then they opened the trunk of their car and began to unload cartons, oddly shaped boxes marked fragile. Their teenage son stood nearby, holding a black and white cat. The boy was tall and good-looking. When she was alive, Callie might have liked him. She might have thought he was cute, but now she was dead, and he was alive. They couldn't even be friends. Could they? The shadow of Callie slipped and slid among the house's dark shadows. She glared down at the new family. Come in, she urged them silently. Come in, I'm waiting for you here. I'm ready to welcome you to 99 Fear Street, and I have a welcome I don't think you will forget. Chapter 1 Hey, be careful with those boxes, Mr. McCloy shouted. Brant McCloy watched his father chase after one of the movers, who had four large cardboard boxes piled in his arms. The top box teetered, and Mr. McCloy caught it as they fell. Those are priceless tribal masks, Mr. McCloy scolded the mover. They are very old. Sorry about that, the mover replied, hurrying inside. Brant thought he didn't sound sorry at all. Brant stroked Ezra, his black and white cat, and sighed. Dad and his masks, he murmured to Ezra. He probably thinks if one breaks, it means seven years' bad luck. Ezra purred in reply. Brant stared wistfully at the family's new house. A new beginning, he thought. A whole new life. The house stood two and a half stories tall. Its gray shingles were chipped and stained. The old trees surrounding the house cast it in a deep shadow. It might have been nice once, Brant thought, noticing two window shutters hanging from their hinges. But it sure needs help now. Five steps led to a small, sagging front porch. The front door was surrounded by cracked, stained-glass windows that badly needed to be replaced. The house is so run down, Brant thought, but his parents thought they'd be comfortable there. Brant hoped so. 
He was darkly handsome, with wavy black hair hanging loose, framing his face and flashing brown eyes. He wore faded jeans and a shirt made from colorful hand-woven cloth. A small leather pouch hung on a leather string around his neck. This he never took off. Brant turned as Mr. McCloy stormed out of the house, scowling. Mrs. McCloy trailed after him. There are rats in there, he cried angrily, in the basement. Rats, Brant thought unhappily, petting Ezra. That's all we need. No problem, Dad, he said. There's got to be an exterminator in town. I checked this house completely before I bought it, Mr. McCloy fumed. There was no sign of rats in the basement two months ago. You must have missed them somehow, John, Mrs. McCloy said. It's not the end of the world. I'm calling that real estate agent and demanding that he get over here and do something about this. What was his name again? Ori? Lurie? A man's voice interrupted. It seemed to come from nowhere. Did I hear the name Lurie? Brant and his parents turned toward the voice. A young man stood on the sidewalk, smiling at them. His hair was straight and black, and he had a black mustache. He wore gray denim overalls and carried a tool kit. Don't mean to interrupt, the man said. I just happened over here. Do you know him? Mr. McCloy asked. Do you know Mr. Lurie? I've heard of him, the man answered. The people who used to live here, I heard them mention the name. He held out a long-fingered hand. Mr. McCloy shook it. The man introduced himself as Glenn Hankers. I do odd jobs, handiwork, that kind of thing. Great, Brant's father said. I'm John McCloy. This is my wife, Barbara, and my son, Brant. You know anything about rats, Mr. Hankers? Hankers nodded. Pest control's my specialty. Why don't I take a look? Mr. McCloy gratefully led Mr. Hankers inside. Brant glanced at the movers, who were still holding boxes into the house. Will you take Ezra for a while? He asked his mother. He held the cat out to her. I think the movers could use some help. Mrs. McCloy frowned. I wish you wouldn't, Brant. You've got to be careful. Your condition? Brant sighed. His mother was always worrying about him. No problem. Nothing too heavy, he said, impatiently pressing the cat into her arms. Don't worry so much. Mrs. McCloy's frown deepened, but she took the cat. Brant rubbed the small scar on his left cheek. Then he made his way to the moving van and carried a small carton of books into the house. After two or three trips, he heard his father calling to him from the living room. Hey, Brant, I could use some help in here. Brant set a box of books on the floor of the hall and walked into the living room. Mr. Hanker says he can get rid of the rats in no time, Mr. McCloy said. I guess I overreacted a bit. Brant's father sat on the living room floor among the dozen cardboard boxes, carefully unwrapping his tribal relics. One by one, he peeled away the newspaper wrappers to reveal ancient spears and delicately carved, boldly painted masks. Most of them twisted into frightened or cruel expressions. Next, he pulled out reed pipes that had been used for blowing darts. The darts were made of silver and honed to razor-sharp points. I want to get these things up on the wall before we do anything else, Brant's father said. It will guarantee we'll have good luck in our new home. You don't really believe that, do you, Dad? Brant asked, opening one of the boxes. You never know, Brant, his father answered. It can't hurt, can it? I guess not, Brant replied. He heard his mother walk into the house and pick up the box of books he left on the floor. Ezra wandered into the room and rubbed against Brant's leg. Mr. McCloy nailed a hook into the wall. Brant held up a spear. It was long and straight with a sharp bronze point. Brant's father stepped aside as Brant began to hang the spear on the hook. Suddenly, Brant felt a sharp tug. Hey, what's happening? The spear seemed to jump out of his hand. Point down, it plunged to the floor. A yowl of pain shattered the silence. Brant gazed down and cried out in horror. Ezra! he screamed. Chapter 2 The cat uttered a feeble groan. The spirit pierced all the way through his furry body. Bright red blood puddled onto the floor. Its eyes wild, the cat frantically squirmed and jerked. 
but it couldn't free itself. Ezra! Brant dropped onto his knees beside the twitching cat. Don't touch him, Brant, his father instructed. Get the phone. Try to reach a vet. His heart in his throat, Brant raced for the telephone. At least Ezra didn't suffer too long, Mr. McCloy assured them at the dinner table that evening. The vet said the pain probably only lasted a few seconds. And Ezra was getting old, Brant, his mother added. He wouldn't have lived more than a year or two longer anyway. Brant nodded. He knew Ezra was old and would have died soon, but to die so violently. He could still picture the cat with a spear in its side. What a way to start out in a new house, Brant thought unhappily. Some new beginning. He shook his head as if to clear the thoughts away. His mother set a paper plate in front of him. A slice of pizza. He picked it up and bit into it. Pizza, what a treat, Mr. McCloy exclaimed through a mouthful. I don't think I've had pizza in two years. Has it been that long, Brant? I had a slice two weeks ago in the airport, Brant replied, on the way home from Apollo. His mother laughed. You couldn't wait to get your hands on pizza the whole time we lived on the island. You whined and complained about not having pizza every day. Anything would have been better than that taro mush, Brant exclaimed. Do you think the grocery stores are open on Sunday? Mrs. McCloy asked. Probably, her husband answered. Nothing closes in the States anymore. Then I'll go to the store tomorrow and buy some healthy food, Mrs. McCloy announced, biting into her pizza. Is that a threat? Brant choked. Come on, Brant, his mother said. You know you like healthy foods. Why, you were eating like a native by the time you left. You asked me to make stewed mushrooms and coconut for your birthday, remember? And don't you miss the pineapples? Brant remembered how sweet and juicy the pineapples were on Mapalo. Maybe he did miss the island a bit. Brant had spent most of his life traveling to exotic places with his parents. For the last couple of years, they lived on a tiny, remote island in the Pacific called Mapalo, where Mr. McCloy, an anthropologist, studied ritual magic. Are you looking forward to school on Monday, Brant? Mrs. McCloy asked as she handed him a glass of Pepsi. Nervous? It was the middle of October. Brant hadn't been to school yet. Why should I be nervous, he replied. After Mapalo, high school should be a breeze. I think you'll enjoy it, Mr. McCloy said, wiping cheese off his chin with a paper napkin. Your mother was right. You do need a couple of years of normal American life, after all the traveling we've done. And I think you'll like it, Mrs. McCloy suggested. Think of it as another anthropology project, the rituals of American high school students. Everyone laughed. When the time came to leave Mapalo, Mrs. McCloy said she wanted Brant to live in America for a few years, and Mr. McCloy agreed. He accepted a teaching post at Waynesbridge Junior College and moved the family to nearby Shadyside, where the high school was considered more challenging. Remember that old woman? Mrs. McCloy asked. What was her name? Zena, Brant replied. Right, Zena. Remember the day she disappeared? The whole island searched for her, but her daughter kept insisting Zena had turned into a panther, and she wanted me to trap the panther, Brant remembered. I never understood that. Why me? I was just a 14-year-old kid. Because of the prophecy, Brant's father explained. The village sorceress had something about a young stranger coming to the island, a young stranger who could break the spell on Zena. And you were the only young stranger around. I always thought that girl made the story up, Brant's mother said. I think she had a crush on you, Brant. Mom, she was 20 years old. I was only 14. There's no way she had a crush on me. You never know, Brant, Mrs. McCloy teased. Different cultures and everything. Anyway, Mr. McCloy cut in. It's nice to live in a real house again. I won't miss her leaky old leaf hut. Even with rats in the basement? Brant asked. Mr. McCloy didn't reply. Mrs. McCloy said brightly, Of course the house needs work. It's always that way when you move. We'll just think of it as a project. A family project to work on together. Brant rolled his eyes. Sometimes his mother was so chipper it made him sick. And we'll get a new cat, Brant, if you want one, Mr. McCloy offered. 
I'm not sure I do, Brant said. Not yet. Well, think about it, Mr. McCloy said. Brant closed his eyes and saw Ezra, pinned through the back with a spear. Yeah, I'll think about it. Thanks, Dad, he said quietly. Brant rolled over in bed. Ezra usually slept beside him. Instinctively, Brant reached out to pet him. His hand landed on the cool cotton sheet. I can't believe the poor guy is dead, Brant thought. He lay in the dark, listening to the heavy silence. His parents had gone to bed hours before. The house lay in the deep darkness. Brant couldn't see if the moon shone in the sky or if a street lamp lit up the road outside. No light penetrated the thick veil of trees surrounding the house. No cars passed by. No wind stirred the leaves on the trees. Brant listened for the sounds of night birds and insects in the yard, but all was quiet. Then a faint scratching sound broke the silence. Brant froze, listening. Scratch, scratch, scratch. What is that? Brant wondered, raising his head from the pillow to hear better. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Rats, he decided. In my room. Chapter 3 Brant sat up straight in bed and pulled the covers around him for protection. The scratches grew louder. Brant listened hard. Scratch, scratch, scratch. He stared up at the ceiling. The sounds seemed to come from up there. There is an attic, he remembered. He hadn't seen it yet, but he remembered passing the narrow stairs that led up to it. The sounds grew heavier. Footsteps, Brant thought. He turned and lowered his feet to the floor. Is someone walking around in the attic? Had someone broken into the house? Brant stood up and tiptoed to the door. He peered down the dark hallway. No light came from his parents' bedroom. He knew they must be asleep. He groped along the hall until he found a door leading to the attic steps. Silently, he pulled it open. He listened. Silence. Should he go up? Anyone up there? He called, leaning into the stairwell. His voice came out a hushed whisper. Who's up there? Silence. Then the soft creaking of the attic floorboards. Footsteps. Who is it? Silence again. Brant took a deep breath and started up the narrow stairs. They felt warm under his bare feet. He reached the top and peered into the darkness. Anyone up here? His parents were always scolding him for taking matters into his own hands, for being too impulsive. Reckless, they called it. Brant didn't care. He didn't want to think of himself as a wimp. If someone was in the attic, he wouldn't hide in his bed. He'd go upstairs and check it out. But the attic was too dark to see anything. Brant fumbled along the wall for a light switch. Then he heard the floorboards creak. Scratch, scratch, scratch. In the darkness, something growled. Brant froze. He heard the click of claws on the floor. It's coming for me, he realized too late to move out of its way. With a snarl, the creature sprang through the darkness, its outstretched claws reaching for Brant's throat. Chapter 4 No! Brant let out a terrified wail. He shielded his head with both arms. The creature thudded against him, then heavily fell to the floor. Brant crouched and waited. Where was the creature? Preparing to attack again? He couldn't see it in the heavy blackness, but he heard scuttling in the far corner. I need to see it, Brant thought frantically. I can't fight it if I can't see it. He fumbled for the light switch. He found it quickly. A dim ceiling light clicked on. Brant blinked. His eyes moved warily around the room. The long, narrow attic had a low ceiling over plain plasterboard walls. The dusty floor was littered with boxes. To the right of the door, under the eaves of the house, Brand spotted a small window, slightly open. But the creature? No sign of the creature. Scratch, scratch. Slowly, carefully, Brant reached for a straw broom he spotted on top of a box. The creature stepped out from behind a box. Brant narrowed his eyes at it. A fat raccoon. He uttered a relieved sigh. Only a raccoon. But it attacked me, he realized. A raccoon wouldn't do that, unless something was wrong with it. Unless it had rabies. 
He stared at the raccoon. It was breathing hard. His tail switched back and forth. Through the black mask on his face, it stared back at Brant and snarled. Oh no, Brant thought. It is rabid. The raccoon reared back at his haunches, preparing to spring again. Brant gripped the broom with both hands. If only I had one of Dad's spears now, he thought. The raccoon sprang. With a gasp, Brant batted at the animal with the broom. The creature let out an angry hiss as the broom knocked it back to the floor. Brant swung at it again. With a furious hiss, the raccoon swiped at the broom with his claws. Brant swung the broom, and again furiously, backing the creature to the wall. Snarling angrily, the raccoon scrambled up onto the windowsill. It pulled back its lips and bared its pointy teeth at Brant. Brant jabbed at the creature with the broom. The raccoon snatched at the broom with his teeth and caught it. Startled, Brant let the broom slip from his hands. It clattered to the floor. Brant started to reach for the broom, but stopped when he noticed the raccoon crouched low, preparing to jump onto him. If he bent to get the broom, Brant realized, the raccoon could leap and sink its teeth into his neck. The raccoon continued to utter its shrill, angry hiss. Spittle dripped from its mouth. Brant slowly backed away, his eyes locked on the animal. His left leg hit something, a chair. With a startled cry, he stumbled and fell backward. The raccoon sprang again. Brant jerked himself up. He grabbed the chair by the legs, lifted it, and jabbed it at the spitting animal. The raccoon retreated to the windowsill again. With a loud, angry shout, Brant heaved the chair at it. The chair slammed against the wall. The creature dived out the window. Brant lunged for the window, grabbed it by the top of the frame, slid it shut, and locked it. Struggling to catch his breath, Brant gazed blankly around the attic. His entire body trembled. The narrow room appeared to tilt and sway. A close one, he thought. That creature put up a real fight. Had any other animals climbed in through the open attic window? Were there other animals hiding up here? Brant wouldn't be able to sleep unless he knew the answer. Still breathing hard, he made a careful search of the boxes. No. No more raccoons. No more animals. I'll be safe now, Brant thought. He turned out the light and, his legs weak and rubbery, started downstairs. His father stood in the hallway in his bathrobe. Brant stepped into the pale glow from the hall light. Brant, what's going on? his father asked. Brant rubbed a little scar on his cheek. His mother came running out of the bedroom, her features tight with concern. Brant, you look terrible, she cried. What happened? I heard noises in the attic, Brant replied breathlessly. Went up to investigate. I... I found a raccoon. Is it still up there? His father demanded, gazing past Brant to the attic door. It's gone, Brant told them. I forced it back outside. Thank goodness, Mrs. McCloy cried, raising both hands to her cheeks. Who left the attic window open? I... I should tell you something else, Brant started hesitantly. I think the raccoon might have had rabies. It was acting very strangely. It attacked me. Mr. McCloy took Brant by the arm and began to check him over. Did it bite you or scratch you anywhere? I don't think so, Brant said. I think I'm okay. Let's make sure, Mr. McCloy said. He led Brant into his room and made him stand under the light. Brant's parents carefully checked his arms, his throat and face, his chest. I don't see any marks, Mr. McCloy announced with a sigh of relief. But you've got to be more careful, Brant, his mother said. What did you think you were doing? You shouldn't be up there by yourself trying to fight a rabid raccoon. Your condition, Brant, his father reminded him. How could I forget, Brant thought bitterly, but he kept the thought to himself. Callie's ghost watched Brant make his way back to his bedroom. Invisible, she floated in the doorway as he slid into bed, pulling the covers up to his chin. Nice going, Brant, Callie thought, a scornful smile playing over her lips. I wish I could tell you how much I enjoyed your big scene in the attic just now. But I'm not quite yet ready to reveal myself to you. I will soon, though. I will. You are turning out to be very entertaining, Brant. I enjoyed watching you fight that raccoon. I haven't had so much fun in ages. You're so cute looking when you're scared, Brant. 
I like the way your big brown eyes flash, and the way your jaw sticks out when you clench your teeth. Cute. Real cute. Callie watched Brant roll onto his side. Can't get to sleep, huh? She thought. Still thinking about your narrow escape? Well, you don't have to worry about getting rabies, Brant. That raccoon didn't have rabies. There's another reason that it acted so strangely. There's something else that made it act viciously. The evil, Brant. The evil in this house. But there will be time to discover that. Plenty of time. Better get your sleep, Brant. Better rest up, Kelly told him silently. Because I have lots of excitement in store for you. You and I are going to be really good friends.